Thank you, choir, orchestra. Governor, thank you for your presentation. And Steve, congratulations. No one is more deserving than you, and I congratulate you. I was reading an article recently, and it said that in the average lifespan of an American man or woman, they spend six months sitting at stoplights, eight months opening junk mail, one year looking for misplaced objects, five years waiting in line, six years eating, and 21 years watching TV. I have no idea how someone came up with those figures. I am simply repeating them. But it goes to show that so much of our life is spent in mundane situations. But the truth is, all of us choose for ourselves the life that we are going to live. There are some people who simply endure life. And when they come to the end of their time, their response is, I'm glad that's over with. There are some people who try to escape life, and they do so with drugs and alcohol. And I think especially today, there are so many who are trying to escape life through the Internet. They spend all their time on their phones, but they are not able to have a conversation with another human being. So I don't know how you are responding to life, but I know that the Lord wants you to have an abundant life. Because he said, I have come that you might have life and you might have it abundantly. Isn't that what you want? I have come that you might have life and you might have it abundantly. The Apostle Paul gave us three principles that might help us in having an abundant life as we enter into this new year. If you take your Bibles, look with me in Ephesians chapter 5, beginning in verse number 15. Paul wrote, Therefore be careful how you walk, not as unwise men, but as wise, making the most of your time because the days are evil. So then do not be foolish, but understand what the will of the Lord is. Now, my friend, if you are going to have an abundant life, if you're going to have life in its fullness, I think it begins by understanding that life is short. There was a man who went to see the doctor having severe headaches. The doctor took him, examined him, ran the test on him, came back to the man and said, I have some terrible news. He said, what is it? He said, your condition is terminal. What do you mean that it's terminal? Well, it means that you're going to die. He said, well, how much time do I have left? Does that mean I have 10 years, 10 months, 10 weeks? How much time do I have left? And the doctor said, nine, eight, seven, six. <laughs> because life is short, Paul says that we are to be careful in verse 15. Therefore, be careful how you walk. Now, the word careful that is used there is not so much about caution as it is about accuracy. In fact, the word literally means look carefully, accuracy, which comes as a result of carefulness. The word is used several times in the Bible. For instance, King Herod used it when he said to the wise men, look carefully for the child. In Matthew chapter 2, verse 8, he said, he sent them to Bethlehem and said, go and make careful search for the child. 
It was also used concerning Apollo's teaching. In Acts chapter 18, verses 25 and 26, being fervent in spirit, he was speaking and teaching accurately, carefully. The things concerning Jesus, being acquainted only with the baptism of John, and he began to speak out boldly in the synagogue. But when Priscilla and Aquila heard him, they took him aside and explained to him the way of God more accurately or carefully. So the Bible says then in Apollo's teaching that he was careful in teaching what he knew about Jesus. But then the scripture says that Priscilla and Aquila taught him more fully so that he could speak more accurately as a result of the knowledge that they shared. So he was careful in his speech. The Bible says that we are to be careful concerning the return of Christ. 1 Thessalonians chapter 5, verse 2, For you yourselves know full well, same word, carefully, you know full well that the day of the Lord will come just like a thief in the night. Now, ladies and gentlemen, you and I are to live our lives anticipating the return of Christ. Now, no one knows when Jesus is coming back. I know there are books that are written every year telling us when Jesus is coming back. But the Bible tells us that no one knows but the Father. But you and I are to live our lives anticipating the return of Christ. Last week, we were, many of us were in Israel at Megiddo, overlooking the Valley of Armageddon. That is always an awe-inspiring place for me. When I look out over the valley of Armageddon, knowing that that is where the world is coming to an end, knowing that the battle of Armageddon is going to be fought there. So as we stood there looking over the, the valley of Armageddon, I spoke on the return of Christ and the battle and all of that. After it was over, there were some people who came to me and said, do you believe that we are living in the time when Christ is going to return? And I said, you know, I, I really do. There are many prophecies in the Bible concerning the return of Christ, but there's one that especially resonates with me now, and that is the parable of the wheat and tares. The reason for that is that Jesus said the wheat and the tares exist together, the wheat representing the Christian, the tares representing the non-Christian. So the Bible says the wheat and the tares have existed together, planted in the same field. But at the time of harvest, at the end of time, Jesus is going to separate the wheat from the tares. And I believe that that is what is happening now. We, we wonder sometimes, why is there such hostility towards Christians today? You see, when I was growing up, even if a person were not a Christian, they had respect for Christians. They, they had respect for the church. But today we have largely lost that. Why is that? I think it's because there is a separation that is occurring. The wheat and the tares are pulling apart in anticipation of the return of Christ and the separation that he will bring at harvest time. We are to live our lives as believers anticipating and looking for the return of Christ. We're to be careful in our lives. We are led of God. We are kept by God. And we therefore are not victims. The Bible says that he is our present help. In Psalm 46, one God is our refuge and strength and very present help in trouble. My friend, as a child of God, when you face temptation in life, 
The Bible says that God is your present help. He is there to help you. He is there to sustain you. He is there to give you victory even as you face the temptations of life. The Bible says he is our stronghold. In Psalm 46, 11, the God of Jacob is our stronghold. He will strengthen you as you go through life. That's in part what he is talking about when he says that we are to be careful. God is going to be with you. God is going to see you through. So be careful, be accurate. And then he said, be wise in verse 15. Therefore, be careful how you walk, not as unwise men, but as wise. There's a difference between knowledge and wisdom. There are many people have knowledge, but wisdom is the proper application of knowledge. A person who is wise is able to apply knowledge. I think that one is more inclined to make wise decisions if one understands that time is limited. So the psalmist said, Lord, make me to know my end and what is the extent of my days. Let me know how transient I am. Do you understand how short life is? I know you young people don't. You know, I think of, I think of time or life as being like an hourglass. When you're young, like so many of you are, most of the sand is up in the top part, and there's a whole lot left down here to go. When you're Bucky Drake's age, <laughs> most of the sand is down in this end, and there's not much left to go. See, the Bible says that life is short, therefore we are to number our days. If life is short, understand that there is a number, number our days. Saw an article the other day said if you're 35, you have 500 days to live. Well, my heavens, I must have two left. <laughs> if you're 35, you have 500 days to live. They went on to say if you subtract the time sleeping, working, tending to personal matters, eating, traveling, chores, and so forth, in the next 36 years, you have 500 days to do as you wish. Understand that life is short. And if you understand that, then you can make the most of your days. Understand that life is short. Secondly, he says, make the most of opportunities. Verse number 16. Making the most of your time because the days are evil. Life is short. So make the most of your time. The word making the most can be translating to buy up or to purchase. In other words, determine that you're going to make the most of your time. And the word time that is used there is not speaking about quantity. It speaks about quality. All right. So he says make the most of your time, the quality of your time. How many opportunities do we waste? How many opportunities have you wasted? How do we waste the opportunity that is ours? Probably the primary way is through sin. We get in sin and we waste so much of our lives. My guess is there are some of you present today and perhaps you're even older, but you've never committed your life to Christ and as a result you've wasted so much of your life. Some of you may remember Mark Gastineau. Mark played football for the New York Jets some years ago. 
He invested with an oil man in the church I pastored in Oklahoma City, and so one day he brought him to my office to visit with me, and we talked for a while. We talked about New York. We talked about football. We talked about those things, and then I talked to him about the Lord. Mark was not at all interested in hearing about the Lord. He was the toast of New York City at that time. Everybody knew, everybody loved Mark, so he wasn't interested. He sort of shut me down when I tried to talk to him about the Lord and committing his life to the Lord and so forth. As time went by, Mark ended up in prison. I saw a special on television about him. He was in prison and there he had become a believer and he was teaching a Bible study. And I thought, how much of his life did he waste needlessly? Folks, we can get caught up in sin and miss the opportunity for life. I, I, I know that some of you, especially some of you young people, you think that, that I'm, I'm, I'm going to have a time whenever I get old and I don't have much to look forward to, then I'm going to give my life to Christ. And what you end up doing is wasting so much of your life in the opportunities that God has given to you. We waste those opportunities through sin. We waste them through gossip, tearing people down rather than building them up. Man was at home one day. He looked out his bedroom window and he said uh, to his wife who was in the room with him, said, who, who's that good-looking woman with our neighbor? She came running over there and looked out the window. She said, well, that's his wife. He said, who'd you think it was going to be? Folks, oftentimes we spend so much of our time tearing people down. Rather than building them up. We even do that in church. Prayer meetings can become gossip sessions. You know, you take prayer requests, be praying for old John. You know, I think he's having an affair on his wife. A lot of times our prayer meetings become nothing but gossip sessions. We waste time tearing people down rather than building them up. We waste times with amusements. That's an interesting word to me. I've always liked that word. We like to be amused. We have amusement parks and so forth. The word amuse, muse means to think. If you put the A in front of it, it means to negate. So it means not to think. How many of us spend time amusing ourselves rather than growing in our relationship to Christ and therefore we waste time? A lot of us waste time and opportunity worrying about life. Right? How many of you worry? Just me. How many of you lie? <laughs> I told you last month that we had gotten in a deeper hole financially than I'm comfortable with. And I told you that I had been praying and worrying. And God seemed to speak to me and say, why don't you pray and trust? And the Lord was so gracious. The folks so so often we waste so many opportunities, so much opportunity worrying when the Bible says in Matthew 6, 33 and 34, but seek first his kingdom and his righteousness and all these things will be added to you. Therefore, do not be anxious for tomorrow. Lord told us we're not supposed to. I struggle with that. I know that may not be something that you struggle with, but worry is one of the areas where I struggle. Yeah, I worry about things. I know it's wrong, I know it's sin, I confess it as such, but we waste so many opportunities. We fail to do so many things 
because we're worried about something. Something else that takes so much of our time and opportunities is trying to meet the expectation of others. Others think that we are supposed to be like this or that, and uh, we try to satisfy those expectations. I told you before that that was one of the great struggles I had when God called me to preach. I just didn't see myself as a preacher. And I knew that I was supposed to be like, I knew that I was supposed to be holier than I am. Or I was at least supposed to sound holy and, and look holy, whatever that meant. I didn't know what that meant. I still don't sometimes. But there are people who want you to be what they want you to be when God created you to be who you are supposed to be. You're not supposed to be someone else. You're supposed to be the person that God created you to be. So determine for yourself what is important. And let's think about that for just a moment. As we go into this new year, early in this new year, what is really important? What's really important to you? Well, your relationship to God, that's important. Why don't you decide this year, I'm going to love him more than I've ever loved him. Painter had painted a picture of Jesus. Someone saw the painting and he said, that's a lovely painting. He said, but if I loved him more, I'd paint him better. I'd like to love him more this year. Wouldn't you? I'd really like to love him more this year. So why don't you decide this year, I'm going to love the Lord more than I ever have. I'm going to know him better. I'm going to spend time in his word that I know him better than I have known him. What about your family? Redeem the opportunity to invest in your family. Cynthia Langham at the University of Detroit did a study. She found that parents and children spend 14 and a half minutes a day talking to each other. Most of that is what's for dinner, have you finished your homework, and so forth. How about your family? Why don't you decide this year I'm going to make things better with my family. That I'm going to be a better spouse. I'm going to be a better husband. I'm going to be a better wife. You know, folks, I have, um, through the years, I have been to the funerals where I have seen the regret of someone saying, I wish I would have told her how much I loved her. I wish I had of encouraged him more than I did. The regrets that I've had. I determined long ago I may not do everything right, but I'm going to leave this life with as few regrets as possible. Why don't you determine this year that I'm going to be a better spouse, I'm going to be a better parent? And you know, I'm, I'm going to throw this in for nothing. You probably, that's probably what it's worth, but I'm going to anyway. Parents, if you want to be the best parent, here's, here's your job. Work yourself out of a job. You're not to make your children dependent on you. You are to make your children independent so that when they are no longer with you, they can function without you. That's hard because we want to protect our children. We want to do all these things for them, but as a result, we cripple them. Determine this year that I'm going to be a better parent. I'm going to be a better grandparent. I'm still trying to find out what that is. I don't even know. Why don't you determine this year that I'm going to be a 
better church member, more committed to my church than I have been. I'm going to really love the church and be involved in the church and find a place in the church. I'm going to be a better citizen. It's so easy for us today not to be involved because it is a nasty thing, politics and all that. So we just withdraw. No. No, that's not what God has called us to do when he said we are to be salt and light. Be a better citizen this year than you've been. So he says, if you want to have life in its fullest, make the most of the opportunities available to you. Third thing, he says, embrace the will of God. Verse number 17. So then do not be foolish, but understand what the will of the Lord is. The word understanding carries the idea of assembling facts into an organized whole to make sense of life. You know when life makes sense? when you're committed to the will of God. Now those people who are committed to the Lord know that. I mean, life fits together when you are committed to the will of God. But when you're not, then it does not. You might, may say, well, what is the will of God? Well, God has stated most of it in His Word. Enough of it for you and I to live our lives. For instance, it is God's will for you that you are saved. Because the scripture says in 2 Peter 3, 9, not wishing for any to perish, but for all to come to repentance. So what is God's will for you? Well, first of all, it is his will that you become his child. Not willing for any to perish, but all to come to repentance. It's his will that you become conformed to the image of Jesus. Paul wrote in Romans 8, 29, for whom he foreknew, he also predestined to become conformed to the image of his son. Do you know what God is doing in your life? In fact, we all know Romans chapter 8, verse number 28, all things work together for good to those who love God and call according to his purpose, right? But in verse number 29, it says that God is using all things to conform you to the image of Jesus. So whatever you're going through right now, understand that God is at work in your life to make you like Jesus. He is working in your life, even in the difficulties. He is working in your life to conform you to the image of Jesus because he wants you to be like Jesus. It's his will that you're sanctified. Well, this is the will of God, your sanctification. Sanctification is an event. When I put my faith in Christ, I'm set apart to the kingdom of God. And then it is a process as I put sin out of my life to become more like Jesus. It is his will for your life that you are spirit-filled. Verse number 18, do not get drunk with wine for that is dissipation, but be filled with the spirit. In other words, he is saying don't be under the control of wine or some substance. He says, but you are to be under the control of the Holy Spirit. Greater is he who is within than he who is of the world. It is his will for you that you're thankful. Verse number 20, always giving thanks for all things in the name of our Lord Jesus Christ to God, even the Father. It is God's will for you and for me that we are thankful people. Always, did you notice that verse 20 there? He says, always giving thanks for all things. How can you give thanks for all things? I understand that God is working in my life to conform me to the image of Jesus. God has stated much of his will. How do we live it out? How do you live it out? Establish godly priorities. Make sure the way you spend time reflects God's priorities. Use your talents to glorify Christ. Invest your finances in the kingdom of God. Live today. The Bible says tomorrow will care for itself. Live today. 
That's all you have. Now let me conclude. How can 2018 be a good year for you? That's what we all want. How can it be a good year for you? First of all, understand that life is short. So the proverb says, do not boast about tomorrow, for you do not know what a day may bring forth. You only have today. Life is short. You only have today. Secondly, make the most of opportunities. Be ready to respond to every opportunity God entrusts to you. What opportunities has God given to you? Be ready to respond to it. Thirdly, embrace God's will. And life will make sense. Gary Freeman told of a girl who went to college, but she hated it. She thought to herself, if I ever graduate from college, get married, and have children, then I'm going to be happy. Well, she graduated, she got married, she had children. And she said, if I can just get these kids raised, then I'm going to be happy. Well, the kids went to college, and she had to get a job, and she said, when I get these out of, kids out of college, then uh, I'll quit work and be happy. The last kid graduated from college, and so she went in to quit her job, and her boss said to her, if you'll work another eight years, you'll have a pension for life. And so she worked another eight years. And then she and her husband retired. They sold their home. They bought a little cottage. They sat on the swing on the front porch and dreamed about the good old days. Someone said, life is what happens to you while you are making plans to do something else. It is the Lord's will for you that you have an abundant life in Christ. But you're going to decide that. You're going to decide that based on your obedience to the Lord and His will. Now, gracious Father and God, as we come to a time of consideration and an invitation extended, I pray, Father, that we might look at our lives seriously. No matter what stage we're in, no matter our age, but that we might look at our lives seriously. And, Father, that we might commit ourselves to you and to your will. In Jesus' name I pray, amen. Just a moment, we're going to stand, sing a hymn of invitation giving you an opportunity to respond to the Lord. If you never trusted Him, I encourage you to do so today. If you're looking for a church home, our doors open. We'd love to have you. Stand with me, please. As we stand, the choir sings. You come. I'll greet you as you do.
I have to take just a moment. I told you um, earlier that uh, we came to December. We had a deeper financial hole than we like to be in. And, uh, I, I, you know, God is so faithful and his people are so faithful. Do you know that to the budget, not counting the other stuff, but to the budget during the month of December, you gave over a million and a quarter, um, which puts us in the black at least for one month. So you gave a million two hundred and fifty thousand dollars, and I thank God for that. That's better than a can campaign contribution, isn't it, Governor? All right, we have our deacons meeting uh, Monday night. Our prayer team will meet at 5.30. Where's Rod Funderburk? Rod, stand up. I don't know where you sit yet. So there he is, right back there. Just stand up for a minute so they can see you. If you have prayer requests, you give them to Rod, and our prayer team will pray for whatever request you have. If uh, you can come over to uh, Lindsay up on the third floor at 5.30 and you want the deacon team to pray for you, you just show up over there. But uh, there's an opportunity for you to turn your prayer request into him. Tonight at 6 o'clock, we have the Phillips anniversary. I'm looking forward to it. I tell you, there's no one I love more than this guy. I thank the Lord for him. He's been such a dear friend. And so tonight we honor he and Pam. You'll want to be here for that. College students, there's a Bible study and free lunch for you over in 1420. And Mindy Acree, where's Mindy? There she is. Now, you just keep on standing right up there. But uh, they're in the Water Skier magazine. She got a fold out. I want you to look at that. But she's, she, she, uh, she skis barefoot. And uh, we're going to take up a collection and get her some skis. I don't think that it's necessary. <laughs> For you to do that but congratulations she is in this uh, water skier magazine all right if you have any prayer needs these deacons with red badgers on be happy to pray for you let's stand together as we are dismissed gracious father and god thank you for your goodness and your faithfulness we praise you may we reflect you in christ's name i pray amen